Okay, cool. Okay, I'll let it slide.
for this song? Huh? Yeah, just for um for that last song. It doesn't have to be for the other ones, but Sully, this last song, I'm going to be leading it, so if you could give me more, um, especially in the monitors, too. Thanks. Uh, I don't know my colors. Test one. like that. Oh, not that much. us all with all your messing up. I know. Distracting everybody with all my guitar notes and solos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This guy had me laughing. I ne never played like a, like a bad chord before. And he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> and he's praying for people to get broken off. And here I am like, oh my gosh. Oh gosh. That's how I look at uh, when Rick does the sour note. I'm just like. He gives me that I look. give Ricky like, the look too. Like, like there's something wrong with this person. So light will shine. a great divide between our hearts and your glory and our shame dissolves in the depths of your mercy we are devoted because we are devoted oh, 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 oh. we are devoted to you your life will shine in the dark
Hallelujah, everybody. It's time for prayer. Yeah. Let's get in the glory cloud. If the people from the lobby would come over to the sanctuary, that would be amazing. Woo. And if the, that powerful worship music would start in the background, that would be amazing. Oh, they're supposed to do it. Okay. So that powerful worship music, whoever's supposed to do it up here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We just thank you, Lord, for this conference, God. We just thank you, Lord, for the truth that sets us free, God. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit in this place. It's already here, Lord, but we invite that Holy Spirit into our hearts. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We open our hearts, we open our minds to what you're going to reveal to us today, God, from your word. We set our hearts, our minds, and everything within us on you, Jesus. Jesus, we focus on you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Right now, I just want people to come up. I'll pick you to pray for specific religious groups, specific religious groups, people who are bound up by specific lies. So let's see here. Nandri, would you come up and pray for those who are bound to the lie of Islam? Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now. We ask, Lord, that you turn your attention to those in the, in the east, God, and those here in this, this country. Lord, those that follow the, is, the path of Islam. Lord, those that they, they're searching for truth. They're searching to know you, but they don't know you. They don't know who you are truly. They've been lied to. They have, they've been taught doctrines of demons they have been taught you must please God with your actions you you must earn your way to heaven Lord they're they're blinded and in their society God there is very little light if there is a church on their corner it is threatened people are abused the Christians are are frightened away or or martyred or or their hands are cut off, God. These people, they're taught to be violent towards people that are not like them. They don't know love. Jesus, I just pray you would, as you have been, Lord, I give you glory, and I thank you for the visions and the, the dreams you're sending these people. They have not heard your gospel from a, a man's mouth. They have received a vision straight from the throne room, throne room of God. They have seen Jesus Christ. And you're revealing yourself to them even now in these ways. And I thank you, Lord. I pray you'd continue that and expand that, Lord, that these people who have no other way of hearing your gospel because it is so difficult to spread the good news in those nations, God, I pray that you would spread it, it through the radio, through pamphlets, through word of mouth in corners behind closed doors or out in the open 
God, I just pray you would bless people that are sharing the gospel. Give them a boldness, Lord, and protect their word. I thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing and that you are going to do. And I know that more and more and more churches that have been planted will grow and more and more churches will be planted. And I thank you. Amen. I thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Now I just want somebody to come up here and just pray for those who are oppressed to the lie that Mormonism teaches. Jessica. Hallelujah, God, we love you. God, I just rebuke any attack of the enemy right now, God. Any lie, God, that has been instilled in the Mormon religion, God. Any kind, God, of false God that you that the devil has shown to them that has made it seem good in their eyes. Oh, God, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. It is not of you. Oh, God, and I just... Uh, uh, I, I pray for visions, God, to be revealed in them, oh God. The real God. The God of truth in the name of Jesus, oh God. I just pray, God, right now for broken hearts. I pray for hearts of, of, of stone to, to hearts of flesh, oh God. I pray that they will receive God's truth whenever their lives is revealed, oh God. I pray that they will humble themselves, oh God. That they will not follow this Joseph Smith, oh God. They will follow you in the name of Jesus. You're the creator of Joseph Smith, oh God. How could they, how could they even follow this man? I pray that they will follow you in the name of Jesus. Break chains right now. Break them, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Satan, you have no authority. No authority in the name of Jesus. They are yours, oh God. They are yours. We claim them, oh God. We claim these lost uh, uh, souls for you, Lord God. Confused, oh God. I pray that you will reveal open blind eyes, oh God. Reveal your love, God, over them in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I just want somebody to come up and come against Buddhism. Buddhism. Brother Jared, hallelujah. Jesus, we stand in agreement, Lord. We come together and stand in agreement against these things, Lord. Lord, we, uh, we rebuke the lie of Buddhism in Jesus' name. We rebuke all the demons that propagated in Jesus' name. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would just free the hearts and minds of those that are flirting with it, those that are immersed in it. Lord, it just puzzles me what Pastor Ellie described, how they would just say this word time and time again. Don't they see it's nonsense, but they're blinded. So, Father, we ask in Jesus' name, let this veil be removed that keeps them from seeing the truth, that keeps them bound to a lie. There must be supernatural power. So we pray, Father, uh, that you would raise up witnesses to go out and reach Buddhists and reach people that are flirting with Eastern religion and that are bound to it. And let there be power and authority in their witness. Let there be power and authority in Jesus' name to destroy the works of Satan. So, Lord, all over this nation and nations where it's predominant, such as Tibet and other places and Nepal, we just ask for that stronghold, that demon of Buddhism to be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. And we ask for workers to reach that great harvest of Buddhists in Jesus' name. Right now, we're just setting this place apart, and I want to take the next few minutes. If the people in this place would just 
in faith, knowing that, that your friends, your family are going to be coming through to listen to the, to the teaching tonight. I want us to go around and just lay hands on the chairs and just claim that, that whoever sits in that chair will be touched, would be moved by the Holy Spirit, that their lives would be saved if they are not saved, transformed if they're oppressed to anything, if they're stuck in any kind of... Uh, any kind of bondage that they would be transformed by the by the truth today just with a heart of faith just lay hands on the chairs and just imagine who will be sitting there just claim that God would move in them hallelujah Jesus Reveal yourself to the one that is hungry. Reveal yourself to the one that longs after you. Just show yourself to us. And change our heart. Reveal yourself to one that sits on this chair. Reveal yourself to a city that is heartbroken. Reveal yourself to a state Hallelujah. that is so far from you. And reconcile them to you. That's what you want to do. Reconcile them to you. That's what you want to do. Just reconcile them to you. That's all you want to do. Hallelujah. As y'all are just finishing praying over the chairs, I want to take the next like five minutes to just intercede for those that we invited. And as you all are interceding individually for those you invited on Facebook, you know, through text, through conversation on the streets, you know, at school, at work, wherever you invited people to the conference, just as you're lifting up those people to God and just claiming that they come through, we're just going to sing this song. We're going to have this song playing in the background, meditating on those words as we're praying. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, reconcile them to you. That's what you want to do. Just reconcile them to you. That's what you want to do. You want to be known. You 
want to be heard, you want to be felt, you want to be known, you want to be heard, you want to be felt, God. You want us all, you want us all, you want us all. You want us all, you want us all. Open blind eyes today. Heal hearts today. Speak to death. Start here. Change me. Start here. Change me. Come on, just say that. Start here. Change me, change me, start here. Just point at your heart right now and say this. Say, change me, change me, start here. Yes, Lord. I want 
we want to understand you, Lord. Understand truth. We want to understand your truth, Lord. Open my heart. Open my mind. I want to understand you. Yes, Lord, that's the cry of our heart today, Lord God. And Lord, we just usher you in, Lord, with our desire to know you, Lord God. Right now, if just the church would lift out a cry to the Lord. If you have to speak in tongues, just cry out to the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, God. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you. You are worthy. You are holy. You are mighty to save, Lord God. You are beautiful, Lord. You are enthroned in heaven and see all things, Lord God. And you know, Lord God, those who are being called right now that you are calling out to, God. You see them, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Yes, Lord, we praise you. We worship you, God. You are mighty, Lord. You draw near to your people as they cry out. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're not ashamed to praise you. You created the breath in our lungs. Hallelujah. Woo. Yes. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We just thank you for this time, Lord. We worship and praise you. We're ready for today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you just take the next couple of minutes to greet your neighbors and find your seat. Prepare for worship.
All right, everybody, make your way into the sanctuary. We're getting ready to start. Are you guys excited for session three? Amen. Welcome to our Truth Is Conference session number three with Pastor Joe Y. Rosick. Come on. Truth is always prepared. Are you guys excited? Guys getting major revelations of what truth Come on, is. Amen. Come on, it's powerful. Please make sure that you have a packet with you, our conference packet. If you do not have one, one of our ushers will bring one to you. Also, I want to remind you to write down any questions that you might have because after the message, we will be opening up for a time of questions and answers. Amen. Please stand up to your feet with me as we get ready to worship. Amen. We sing our salvation rise, salvation rise, as we sing of your freedom. We leave, we leave the past behind, as we look to your kingdom. We sing it. You bridge a great divide between our hearts and your glory. And our shame dissolved in the depths of your mercy. See, we are. We are devoted to you. Your light will shine in the darkness. Your light will shine in the dark, in the dark. open skies with the sound of your praises and our future lies in the hope of our Savior you see we are devoted because we are devoted oh, 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 oh. we are devoted to you but your life will shine Darkness, your light will shine in the dark, in the dark. Whoa, we are yours. Your light will shine in the darkness. Your light will shine in the dark, in the dark. Whoa, we are yours. It's your love. It's your love. Your love. It's your love, your love. It's yes, your love, your love. You see your light. Your light will shine in the darkness. Your light will shine in the dark, in the dark. Whoa, we are yours. It's your light will shine in the dark. 
shine in the dark, in the dark. Whoa, oh, oh, we are yours. It's your love. This is your love. Your love. This is your love. Your love. We'll sing your life. Your life will shine in the darkness. Your light will shine in the dark, in the dark. Whoa, we are yours. Yes, your light will shine in the darkness. Your light will shine in the dark, in the dark. Whoa, we are. Come on, every voice, sing your light, sing it. God, your light will shine in the darkness, God. God, Lord, we pray for a boldness, God. God, we pray for just a, a filling of the Holy Spirit, God, to be led, God, to go out and to preach your word. Oh, God, to not, to not back down, Father God, when your word is, is not the most popular thing, God.
passion. This passion in my heart is stirring in my soul to see the nations bow for all the world to know. I'm living for your glory on the earth. Come on, for the sake. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me, light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of Worthy 
ready to be used of the Lord? Come on, maybe you're coming in this place and you're just hoping to, to learn something new. But I got something to tell you here that today that God is wanting to use you. God is wanting to send you back out like a fire to this world so that you can burn for Jesus. Come on. Every heart. Come on, you may say to yourself, man, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. Come on, I've never been good with words. It doesn't matter. Come on, if you have the Holy Spirit, God goes before you. Come on. God, you go before us. So you go before us, Lord.
on your voice, lift it up, say.
decrease and that you would increase, Lord. God, we can fill ourselves with so much knowledge, and that's good, Lord. We want to be fully equipped, oh God. But Lord, at the heart of it, God, is us knowing you, is you being at the center of all that we do. as Rachel was saying, God, truth without you is nothing. It's meaningless. It's, it's really just facts. But truth is a person. You said you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we're here for you. All of us here are here for you, not because we were convinced by arguments, but because we experienced you. We experienced the living God. The living God burned within us, filled our hearts with love. We have tasted and seen that you are good. You are good, God. You have been so good to us. Lord, our hands are clean as a congregation and as a church in this city. God, we've invited our friends, we've invited the Muslims, we've pleaded with them, we've invited our Jehovah Witness relatives. God, our hands are clean. We're not responsible for what they do, God. But you used us to beckon them to come. Just like you beckoned people to come to you, and after they made their decision, they were responsible for that decision. Lord, I wish that a Roman Catholic priest would invite me to come discuss the truth with them. I wish that a Muslim would invite me to their mosque to discuss the truth with them. I wish that the Mormons would invite me, the Jehovah Witnesses. But God, they're cowards and they're afraid. And they hide in dark places. And they try to recruit our young and naive. And yet, God, your truth is bold. Your truth is courageous. We don't hide in dark places. We don't hide... Uh, with professors in classrooms and intimidate students. We've asked our students to invite their professors here today. And yet, God, as I looked around, if not all, are already claiming to be Christians who are here. So, God, I just speak forth a prophetic word upon this congregation. Our hands are clean. We'll continue to reach out and resist. But, Lord, let it be known unto this city we spoke up boldly. We let those who believe in pro-life come. We let those who believe in Islam come. We, we said they all could come. And yet, there are some here who are my witnesses, O oh Lord, that when I went to the watchtower both times, they kicked me out. There are some that here are my witnesses. And God, we've been kicked out of these places, and yet we beckoned them to come. Not to fight, not to argue. But as you said in your word in Isaiah, come, let us reason together. So, Lord, before we transition into this session, I really ask, oh God, from the bottom of my heart, 
that what is in this room will go forth to every person they know to this city that we'll see Facebook posts and testimonies of people talking to Muslim co-workers and friends and family, Roman Catholic relatives, and the next J-Dub that knocks on the door, we invite them in and offer them milk and cookies in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No longer will we be like Saul's army standing on the hill, being intimidated by the different worldviews, but we'll be like David, rushing to battle. With what others may call foolishness, we call the Word of God. They may call it make-believe and wishful thinking, but we know this slingshot can knock out the enemy. We know this sword of the Spirit will slay a 1,000 at one side and 10,000 at another. We'll put, a, we'll put them all to flight. We will, sur- we will survive this uh, generation's attacks against our faith just like we have in every generation. And at the end of the day, you said heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will remain. In Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Would you bless the Lord? Amen. God bless you. Would you just slap somebody high five and say the truth is here? Amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to journal with us through the journey. Today I'm going to be doing... Session three, the truth is always prepared. We're so glad that you're here. Tomorrow, my wife is going to be closing out the sermon, uh, the, the series. So come by and see that. I know there's some from other churches you've been with us, and we thank you for being here. I just want to let you know that uh, tomorrow's sermon, uh, at the closing session, will not be new information. So you, we do not want anyone to miss their home church. Please go to your church. Uh, my wife is just going to be summing it all up and giving us an advance, a charge, uh, a call, a battle cry. So, And it will be online as well. So we just don't want anyone to feel that if they've been a part of this conference from another church, like, oh, snickerdoodles, session four is on a Sunday, and I have church on a Sunday. No, go to your church tomorrow and enjoy it. Catch the video. But uh, she's going to be summarizing everything. I want you to pull out your journals. They're the notes that you've been keeping on the back. This is our third session. How many have been joined the worship? Can we give it up for the worship band? Amen. And I want to thank all the children's workers and all the administrators who put this together. How many like things that are F-R-E-E free? This conference was free. Amen. You know why? Because it was paid for and bought by the Church of Metro Praise International. Just like our outreaches to Bodequa Fest, we give to the lost. When we go to Ohio Park, we give to the lost. We give to the church community now. This was our gift to this city and community. So you owe us nothing except a smile and a handshake. And if you don't want to give that to us, that's still okay. Or a high five or something. But this was our gift to the city. I want you to write down these three questions if you haven't already. Because I know some are just joining us today, and that's awesome for the third session. And we'll catch you up. Basically, the truth is conference is about discovering Jesus and the truth that he gives us. But to be real, a lot of us have questions and doubts about our faith in Jesus or the way we look at Jesus. So we want to write down these three questions and come up with the answers, and hopefully God will answer them through this conference. How many started with us yesterday, less than 24 hours ago, and you've already seen some of your questions answered? Anybody? A few of you? Amen. 
I'm challenging you now today to not leave this next session because I'll do Q&A till 3 in the morning. I didn't leave here till midnight last night, so I'll stay the whole entire day. I'll bring my sleeping bag if I have to. Amen. And uh, I want all, if, if it's in our human possibility, we're going to answer those questions. So stay after this session, and we'll answer as many as you can, as we can. Here are the questions we want to ask ourselves. Number one, what are my doubts? So do you have doubts about the Christian faith? What are they? Do you doubt God's word is true? Do you doubt the story of creation? Do you doubt that a loving God could allow so much evil in the world? Be honest with yourself and write those things down. And I'm going to give you some private time as well. But uh, please write those down even now. Number two, do you have any personal questions or objections to God's moral standard or to the intellectual validity of the Bible? So do you have questions or objections to God's standards? So some of the most popular ones right now are like sexuality. You know, God says don't have sex before marriage. Do you, uh, do you object to that? God's standard for marriage, one man, one wife, one man and woman in a marriage. Yeah, do you object to that? Do you object to um, husbands being over their wives and wives submitting to their husbands? Do you object to that kind of standard? Do you object to giving your finances, the first fruit, the tithe, to the Lord faithfully and being dedicated to the ministry and being a part of a church? Do you think the church is uh, not everything it's cracked up to be and you ought not to be a part of it? Write any of those things down. Please keep it real. And then number three, what are the objections that your friends and family have? So maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor? I really don't have many doubts. I'm a person of faith. I believe what the Bible says. I've had some questions, but, you know, I'm willing to hear the answer. And I don't really have any objections because I do want to serve God and, you know, be obedient. But there are things that my friends and family bring up. They bring up questions about, you know, should I pray to the saints? Or if I was baptized as a child in a Catholic church, aren't I okay? And they're telling me that they're not a bad person. So what do I say to them? Or maybe you have a relative that's doing New Age and, you know, now they're turning to be vegetarian. Not saying all vegetarians are New Age, but they're getting into yoga and vegetarianism. And you're starting to see little Buddhas, you know, like they're mixing things in their house now. They're putting Buddhas in their house and they're mixing thoughts and religions, you know, kind of like New Age. We're going to talk about that. But do you have a question about how to reach them? Okay, so we're coming here to find the truth, and uh, if we are doing our job right at this conference, we should be pointing you to what we believe is true. And the first session was truth is grounded in Jesus. So I believe Pastor Jared yesterday really set apart who Jesus is, and the resurrection makes Jesus a different kind of person. So the way he said it is this, comparing Jesus to other prophets and good men like Muhammad or Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi, is like comparing the sun to a flashlight without batteries. Wasn't that good? So Jesus is in a category all by himself because he's God, and the resurrection declares that. He's the only person to have raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. He's the only one that had did that, and he claims that he did that as a, a validating force to what he was talking about. So he kept saying, this is what I came to do. And God so loved the world that he gives his only begotten son. You know, this is it. So if that's true, then Jesus is the foundation for, for truth. And then today, Pastor Ellie uh, really helped us understand that truth is true for everyone. 
that you can't just say, well, I'll believe this and you believe that and we'll have our own truths. He talked about the law of non-contradiction and these philosophical thoughts, and it was deep, but I really enjoyed it because it helped us understand it's not like science has different facts than Christians believe or that philosophy has different facts than what Christians believe. No, Christians believe whatever is true, but we also have a foundation for whatever is true. And we explain that today. And not only did Pastor Ellie explain that, but I believe that you've been hearing this in our worship, that Jesus is the center of everything. And if you open up your heart, more than an argument, you'll feel his presence. And then now, today I'm going to be giving you uh, really 12 major objections that come from six different worldviews. So I'm going to give you what I think are the most six popular worldviews that come against Christianity. And each one of them have about two objections. So I'm going to go through 12 of them by God's grace. Come on, somebody say, help him, Jesus. Okay, so we're going to answer these questions, but I want you to turn first to Psalms 27, verse 4, and I want us to focus on the scripture that helps us understand where we find the answers to all of our questions. Before there was, you know, somebody may say, well, I'll find the answer to my question in a school, but what what would you do if you couldn't find a school or when schools didn't exist, you know, when they weren't around? Or I'll go to a textbook. What if there wasn't a textbook, right? We're going to give you what I believe is the answer for all the other answers. Psalms chapter 27, verse 4. David here is sharing with us his heart. And when uh, you get there, can you say, I'm there? Come on. Waiting for some of you guys. Psalms 27, verse 4 says this. One thing I will ask from the Lord. This Only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So think about this. All of our questions could be answered with the one question of, God, can I seek you in your presence? If God allows us to come into his presence, don't you think all the other questions will be answered? So David said, I really just got one thing I'm seeking after, one thing I really want, and that's to be in God's presence. And I love what Frank Turek said. If the first verse of the Bible is true, then everything else is believable. If in the beginning God, stop right there, if that's true, then I can believe there's six-winged angels in heaven called the seraphim. I can believe that God split apart a Red Sea and the people of Israel went on dry land. Because if those first few words are true, then everything else is at least possible. So in the sense of whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're facing in life, whatever challenges or questions you may have about your faith, if you believe there's a God, do you believe that he can speak to you and reveal himself to you? Now this is what makes our conference different is that we're not just trying to give you head knowledge. We want you to meet with God. That's why I'm going to stop talking in a little bit. I know it's hard for me, but I'm going to do it. And I've done it every session. And what that means is you can pray, look at the questions you're writing down, the doubts you're facing, and ask God for answers. You can go through the scriptures, maybe the little bit that you know. You can prepare to ask questions at the end and let God speak to you. Because I don't need to put my trust in my own wisdom. So if I don't put my trust in my own wisdom, why would I ask you to trust my wisdom? So if all of this is my wisdom and I don't even trust it, why would I ask you to trust it? What I'm trying to say is that these things we're discussing 
are rooted and founded in God. Brother, would you shut off that congregational light, please? Because I want us to meditate now. Father, through these next five minutes of meditation and prayer, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that we would be real. I believe that people here seeking answers from you will receive it. I believe as they gaze upon your beauty in your presence, as they open their hearts, you will answer their doubts. You will take the objection away, and you'll give them wisdom to speak to their friends and family. God, somebody could have argued with me for years on end about whether or not it was right to cuss and get in fights and do drugs. But Lord, one moment in your presence convinced me. I pray that now we'll be convinced of your truths in that same kind of way. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Amen. Rachel's going to sing just something from her heart. Would you take the next five minutes to just meditate on God's word?
60 more seconds, Lord, we're hearing from you. For some of you that are not used to meditating, the Bible speaks about it all the time, to meditate upon the Lord, to meditate upon his precepts. So often in our culture, we're, so move, we're moving so fast, we don't learn to hear from God. And as a pastor, I have found that these times in our conferences are powerful because they make our hearts become quiet and still. We should hear what God is saying. And we should learn to hear him on our jobs and our families and the busyness of life. Sometimes when my wife and I, we may not be getting along or the kids are stressing me out, if I can just quiet myself and hear what God is saying, it will bring peace to my situation. Why? Because I've learned to build a foundation with him over the years. He said, if you hear these words of mine and you put them into practice, you're like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. You know, when the storms come, it won't destroy the house. And we need to learn as Christians to build that foundation. Just 30 more seconds. God, you're our foundation. You're the answer. I'm not looking for answers outside of you. You're the answer. My job doesn't bless me. You bless me through my job. My kids aren't my life. You're my life, and a kid, my kids are a gift from you that are a part of them, are a part of my life. But outside of you, nothing, nothing can satisfy. Not my family, not my wife, not my kids, not money, not vacations. Only you can satisfy. Lord, now I ask that uh, as I get into some, you know, what they call controversial things, I pray that our heart will be open. Whatever I say is true, let it be a part of our hearts. And whatever is false, let it fall to the side. Because, God, I believe your word needs no help from man. It stands alone as true, whether we believe it or not, just like gravity. So, Lord, help me just to speak your truth and help people to only believe what is true. Even if believing a lie makes their life easier and believing a truth makes their life harder, I pray that they'll count the cost to believe the truth because no lie is worth the consequence. Truth is worth it wherever it takes us, wherever it leads us. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Can you bless the Lord one more time with me? Come on. Welcome, welcome. Session three has now begun. Open up your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I'm going to be talking about this session uh, today, session three, always prepared. Truth is always prepared. I want to give you what I believe are the most common objections to truth in our culture today. What people would say to you if you said this is what I believe about Jesus, they would object with these 12 things. These are probably the most popular that I can think of right now. 1 Peter 3, 15 says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And follow along with your notes because I made them very easy for you to follow along and remember what we're talking about when uh, you know the, the sermon's over. And by the way, all of these things will be posted on uh, YouTube and our website so you can share with your friends. But in your hearts revere Christ as what? Come on, somebody wake up this afternoon. Somebody say, Lord. Thank you. Always be what? Prepared. Thank you to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and 
Respect, thank you, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed, thank you, of their slander. So we don't need to be mean and sassy about the truth. We just need to tell the truth as it is. And if you never have known where that saying comes from, it's an old southern saying, I'm going to tell it as it is. T-I-S, tis, okay? So if you ever hear me say, I'm going to tell it as a T-I-S, or, or as a T-I-S, T-I-S, it's uh, just a little southern saying. But the truth is the truth, whether we believe it or not, so we don't have to be angry about it. Like, like if a child's doing math, and they put the answer 2 plus 2 is 5, you don't have to be, oh my gosh, what are you doing? It's 4, my goodness, don't you understand anything? We should be patient with people. We should say, hey, let's just take our time. Let's work through this. And if we believe the Bible is true and that it's been verified and tested, we don't have to argue and get upset about it. We can just display it's true. Now, there's a difference between, like, vain arguments and debates in my mind. I think debates can be healthy. Let's, let's let you say your side. I'll share my side. And I have debates on our website where I've debated Muslims and I've debated uh, uh, a cult that was in our area, the IDMR, the Institute of Divine Metaphysical Research. There's so many cults and, and, uh, and people in the world today that believe in various things. This happened to be a little sect. And I debated them. And so they gave us equal time and I was able to put forth the truth. And you could see the truth setting their people free and affirming it to us who had already believed it. Now, I was willing to take the risk when I had debated them that if what they said was true might have uh, influenced our people but I really believe in the truth and I don't believe that a lie is ever worth believing as I was praying no matter if it makes my life easier so for example if if, if I found out Christianity was wasn't true even though I could pretend to be a Christian and be a pastor and keep making a living off of it I would rather believe the truth and if the truth was being a Buddhist on, a, on, on some Himalayan mountainside as a monk, I would give up what I'm doing now to go follow the truth how many would believe the truth even if it costs you something Okay, and that's what I that's what I say to Mormons and to Muslims. I know this may cost you something. You may get disowned by your family. A Roman Catholics people may look down upon you. You may lose a job. But is it worth it? Is truth worth it? I believe it is. And the Bible tells us that if we as Christians believe we have the truth, we should be prepared to give answers to those who ask us about the reason for the hope within us. And, and the hope within us is who? Jesus. So we should give answers about who? Jesus, look at your neighbor and say, Jesus makes me smile. Now smile. Come on, look at each other. Smile. Thank you. And that way, if we do it in gentleness and respect, we will give them no good cause to hate us. They'll be ashamed of their slander. And now as we see Christians suffering in Nigeria and Pakistan, if you look at it as, a world, uh, um, as the world looks at it, doesn't it make Islam look bad? Like, why are you killing these Christians? What have they done to you? They should be ashamed of themselves. When you look at North Korea, executed 30 Christians that we believe last week. This is uh, something that we know uh, is already being done, but this was something that leaked out, and I believe it to be true, and we've seen people escape from their concentration camps. And they've talked about it being just like it was in Nazi concentration camps, that they're starving these people, and that sometimes the mothers are so hungry that they kill and eat their own children. This has been reported. People are being beheaded in Ethiopia, in Sudan, in different parts of northern Africa. 
in, in the parts of the Middle East. There's a, a video about two Iranian girls that were put into prison simply for believing in Jesus. You see, when the world, when outsiders look at us suffering, they should say these Christians are innocent. They don't deserve to be treated this way, and so it should become a shame to those who persecute us. But if we're charlatans and we're fakes and we're liars, not that we deserve to be persecuted, but no one will feel sorry for us. And that's why it's saying here that we should give answers for what we believe. We should do it in gentleness and respect. And those who maliciously speak against our good behavior will be ashamed of their slander. And I believe that will happen not only in today's world by the general public, uh, but I believe more so that that will happen on Judgment Day when they see the glory of Christ and that what they were really doing to us as Christians, they were doing to him. Because he said, if they hate you here, it was because they hated me first. Think about that. Those believers in Pakistan, they're not proclaiming their own names. They're proclaiming the name of Jesus, and because of that, they're suffering. And let me just give you a good God bless you testimony, Metro Praise International. They just published 600 of our books in Pakistan. I just got the, copy, uh, the pictures of the copies and stacked up, and 200 of them are the book, Helping Muslims See Christ and Christianity. So it's going through Pakistan now. Can we bless the Lord for that? Amen. Thank you, church, for that. I want to share with you the definition we've been using of truth throughout this weekend. Truth defined is truth is facts corresponding to God's created order and his revelation in Scripture. And I'll be defending that a little bit right now, but it's really already been defended in a whole session. The first one, truth is grounded in Jesus. So if you're here with us and you're thinking I'm just making a presupposition on something we haven't established in the conference, you need to go see the vid first video because we have established that Jesus is the grounding of all truth. And so obviously that's what we believe. And we'll stand on that ground and um, defend it. And I believe it's um, defendable. Now, I want to give you the definition of apologetics because that's really what we're going to do right now. Apologetics doesn't mean to apologize. That's kind of been an English way of using this word. But apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, found in the verse we just read, 1 Peter 3.15, when it says, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks about the hope within you. That Greek word for answer is apologia, and it literally means to speak in defense. So we're going to learn how to do apologetics, learn how to speak in defense of our faith, to give an answer to those who are asking us. And when you get more into apologetics in, in the contemporary context, like what we're doing today, it's the discipline of defending scriptural truths through the systematic use of biblical information. So we're going to uh, defend our truths through what the Bible teaches. Now, someone may say, well, how do you know that the Bible itself is true? How do you know that is true? And we have reasons for believing that, but I'm just going to share right now a simple answer. Everybody has a foundation. We're choosing our foundation to be the Bible. Now let's see if it holds up. So, for example, if somebody says, well, I don't believe the Bible. We just need to investigate what is their foundation. What are you using to determine right from wrong? Well, I'm using the emperor's saying. I, I believe whatever uh, Caesar says. Okay, I'll expose Caesar's falsehoods and show you the Bible stands true. And that's what Christians did in the early first century. That's how some of them were put to death. A man named Justin preached against the Roman Empire and showed him that Jesus was the grounding of truth, not a Caesar. And his name was Justin Martyr. He was nicknamed as that because he was martyred for his faith. 
He was one of the first apologists. He explained to them, our truth has a better understanding of reality than what your truth is. So your truth couldn't be right. And, and we learn today in, in, uh, things that contradict each other can't be true. So when we say, I believe this is true, and you say something contradicting to that, one of us is wrong. Okay? Now, when we look at what we're going to talk about today in the three major areas of apologetics, we're going to talk about secular skeptics' beliefs. Everybody say secular skeptic beliefs. Okay, and I just want to give you a quick little definition of this. Secular in the sense of it's non-religious. They claim that there is no God, that there is no religion, and that is the term that's been popularized in our culture, secular. It's not religious, it's secular. And skeptic means whenever we try to present to them an evidence, they say, well, I'm skeptical of that. I don't know if that's true. And so they act like they're always taking the higher ground because they doubt everything. But what's funny, when you, you deal with them, if, they, if you say, well, I believe Jesus raised from the dead, and they go, I doubt that. I'm so skeptical of that. And they think they just stepped on a higher ground than you. You can just step on another higher ground and go, I'm skeptical about what you just said about being skeptical. Well, I doubt your doubt. What do you say now? Well, I doubt your doubt that doubts my doubt. Well, eventually, we just can't keep doubting each other. Something has to be proven. And so you'll see in our culture that the non-religious media, non-religious professors, non-religious friends of yours, they'll say things that think they put themselves on a higher ground than you, and they'll look down on you and go, you just religious fanatics. But what they don't understand is that they've got to prove their belief too. They just can't keep striking down everybody's belief. For example, you can't say that nobody's lasagna is as good as your mom's unless you bring out your mom's lasagna. Now, does anybody understand why I might be bringing up that example today? With my hair slick, hey, oh, my mama's lasagna. So if I taste your lasagna and I say, oh, this ain't as good as mama's, this ain't as good, and then you bring your lasagna, no, this is not as good as mama's, this is not, don't, don't I eventually have to bring out mama's lasagna? So if I keep saying, oh, you guys are wrong, you guys are wrong, you guys are, well, show us what's right. You just can't keep saying everything's wrong, show us what's right. The next thing that we're going to learn apologetics is needed is in Christian cults. Cults that claim to have the same kind of belief system we have, meaning they believe in a God and salvation and the Bible and, and these kind of foundations, but yet they're coming up with different answers. So I shouldn't say they have the same belief systems. I mean they have the same foundation for their belief. So they're not like skeptics going, oh, I don't know what is the truth. No, they're standing on something they believe is the truth. And they're going to say, like, I know this is the truth. This is what God said. And they're going to come off very convincing. Jehovah Witnesses today and Mormons are knocking on doors, not because they're just having nothing else to do. They really are convinced of what they're saying. And so then two of us on our own foundations are going to see which one is made of sand and which one is built upon the rock. And then lastly, we're going to see world religions beliefs. And uh, what this means is outside of the Bible, people now are still going to have a foundation of God, but they may have a different book. So skeptics are going to say, I just don't believe in your foundation. The cults are going to say, okay, we both have a Bible, but I interpret it differently. And a world religious belief or a, world, a, belief, that, uh, a belief that comes from a world religion is going to say, I don't even need your book, but I still establish a better foundation. So we're going to learn how to defeat all three of them, and give an answer to them. Amen? Are you guys ready? Okay, let's start with the first one. Let's go with the secular skeptics' beliefs. 
The first worldview is Darwinian evolution. This is the mindset that they're going to take by saying, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I don't believe in God, I believe in science. What they're going to assume now is what Darwin taught about evolution explains everything. They're going to think in their mind that because there is fossils that somehow prove that we've come from ape-like ancestors, that they don't need to listen to the Bible. That's going to be their mindset. My, they'll, they'll say it like this. You do religion, I'll do science. <laughs> Isn't that a little sassy of them to say it like that? Or something else, they'll say like this. Do you believe in Zeus? You'll say no. Do you believe in Hercules? You'll say no. Then they'll say, we agree upon disbelieving in all gods except one. So you're an atheist just like me. You just haven't abandoned your last god. I did. I'm smarter than you. You'll figure it out. Your god is just like Hercules, Zeus, etc. And the way they do that, what they're trying to stand on is this, uh, is this belief system of, if I can explain how I came from an animal, if I can explain how this happened and I have science to prove it, I've disproved your Bible. Um, now, would you do me a favor? Um, one of our guys, Berto, Pastor Berto, would you do me a favor and get the board up here with some markers as well because I want to have some fun with that. This would be something they would say. God did not create the world because science cannot prove that he did. So they'll say, well, science doesn't prove God created the world. And I was just sharpening up some of my um, points here as I was listening to a debate with William Lane Craig. And the idea is we can do physics without inserting the belief in God. We can do mathematics without you know, inserting the belief of God. And they just found some proof, once again, to really establish the Big Bang. And they don't have to believe in God to do it. They could come into the laboratory and go, God, I don't believe in you. Two plus two still equals four. God, I don't believe in you. I can look in microscopes and I can see these things. Does everybody understand where I'm going with that? Okay. So this is what they'll say. We don't need God to explain the creation of the world. There's no proof that he did this. So we can just say science is the answer. Now I'll give you two answers to this. And you'll see this in your notes so that you can write down whatever sticks out to you. But I also put this up on PDF, my entire notes, on the Truth Is, web, uh, the Truth Is Facebook page. So you can go back and really get whatever you want that's good out of here. And also... Uh, chapter 11 in our 201 book is really devoted to these kinds of things. And if you want more resources, we have tons of scholars to, uh, and, and things from the Bible to, um, to reference you to. So the first thing that we say is the first cause. The best explanation for a creation is a creator. So until science can prove nothing can create something, I choose to believe everything came from something. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's where we're going to come down with this Darwinian person. Now imagine if I said to you, here's a book, you can keep it, but you have to make a copy of it and give it to somebody else. So I give you a book, you copy it, you keep the copy, and you give it to somebody else. And then you have to tell them to do the same thing. So we're going to do a little game here, and, I, and we're going to do this. I'm going to give you a book, you have to make a copy and give it to somebody else and tell them to do the same. Now if we... Found, uh, let's say 2,000 years go by, and now there's books all over the world. And somebody wants to see where did the first book come from, okay? So what are they going to do? They're going to go back and start investigating. Well, at first, 
there's going to be like a million people with books, and then it's going to kind of go down to like 100,000 people with books because those 100,000 gave them to people. And then it's going to come down to like a dozen. And then eventually they're going to find out I gave somebody that book. If we could figure this out, are you guys tracking with me? Because someone had the book to begin with and then said, here's the book, copy it, and send it to somebody else. All the entire universe can be looked at this thing. Science wants to keep going back and go, oh, we discovered this. We discovered this. We discovered this. We discovered this. But the point that we're saying as Christians is, where did this come from? Where did the original information come from? You know, at one time, as far deep as we could go was the blood cells. And then we went deeper than the blood cells into, you know, atomic structure and these things. And now DNA, and we keep going deeper and deeper. And, and we try to figure out, like, okay, that next thing will explain it. That next thing will explain it. But the bottom line is if you're borrowing, borrowing, and copying, and borrowing, somewhere the original had to begin. So now this is the question that we'll ask a Darwinian evolutionist. Did A everything come from nothing or b did everything come from something which one is it you can't keep going back and finding out where the books came from and eventually there be no book and boop, it came came into being if they think the universe popped into being out of nothing then why don't things just pop into being out of nothing right now why don't chocolate candy bars and unicorns boop, just pop into being does everybody get the first cause argument? I'm telling you right now, I heard, these under, I heard these discussions when I first became a Christian almost 20 years ago. After 20 years of studying, I'm more convinced of them now. Some of our greatest minds have spent their entire careers understanding these things. So as some of you are sitting here going, that's really a little bit too simple. No, these are the greatest answers you'll ever hear. I mean, this is it, my friends. Either we believe that something created everything or nothing created something. Now, what will the evolutionists, the Darwinian evolution, say at this time? I don't know. And they're going to put their hope in some process right here that science will figure it out. Science will figure it out. But my whole thing is, where is science ever going to figure out that nothing creates something? Where is it ever going to figure that out? And what is nothing? Nothing is what rocks think about. Okay? So until, so here we now have two ideas we can put on the table right here. Did nothing create everything, or did something create everything? Okay? So what are we going to say to Darwinians? We're going to say, I believe that God is the source of all knowledge and truth and DNA and, and material, matter, space, and time. The next thing that we're going to do is we're going to bring up the argument of design. What can be proven is that everything des designed has a designer. Watch didn't come from an explosion in a factory over millions of years with time and chance. Shakespeare's plays didn't come from a big bang in a printing press that resulted in their formation from random mutations. And then the same way mankind, being more complex than all the computers of NASA, having more neurons, electrical firings in our brain than the electrical connections of the world, they say about 100 billion neurons in your brain, did not come about by chance. Now, here's where they'll try to say, they'll now say, well, I can show you how neurons come together and make bigger complex uh, organisms with these. Uh, well, I'll show you how smaller, less, uh, smaller, simpler organisms make more complicated organisms. Okay, that may be true. So now we, have, we give them an option. If you looked at a Ford motor car and you saw the car 
and then you saw Henry Ford, and you looked over here, and you just saw the car, which one explains the origin of the car better? Henry Ford and the car, or just the car itself? Which one? If I said, I want you to look at a picture and tell me which describes in the picture, looking at it, the origin of a car better. Henry Ford with the car or the car by itself? Henry Ford with the car, right? So what we say is, of course the world is designed. Of course we can see adaptation. Of course we can see that things uh, change over time. I don't believe from the goo to you through the zoo to you. I don't believe from molecules to, to man, but I believe God made us to adapt and he made animals to adapt and like how Charles Darwin saw on the Galapagos Islands that the birds who had to have this kind of fruit and ate it had a certain kind of beak and birds that lived on the different side of the island had this kind of a beak. Yes, we believe in that, but we don't believe that explains the origin of the finch bird. Just looking at the bird and its changes does not explain it by itself. So where does design have its best understanding? With a creator. Well, I just see natural things. I just see natural things. Well, I see a creator and the natural things. You see? Because I can't see any other thing being designed without a designer. Show me, show me that today. Show me how... Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore can be made with wind and water over millions of years. Show me that, and I'll show you how man can make it because man designs it. I'll show you Mount Rushmore and the design. And how did they do it? They did X, Y, and Z with their little tools. How did God create the world? He is not having to create in you your digestion process right now and create in you this thing. No, he made us with the ability for our bodies to mutate and take care and to grow a baby inside of a womb. See, that's all a part of God's creative process. What would be the equivalent of that when we would see the car? What would we say is the equivalent to God's creative process in us is equivalent to looking at the car? What did the car have to go through? A factory. Assembly, right? Okay, there we go. Write down questions if you have them. We'll get them at the end, Lord willing. Number two, we weren't created in God's image because fossils prove that mankind evolved from lesser species. So, hey, look, we have these fossils. We have these, we have these beings that look like they're not really, you know, ape-like creatures, and they're not really man. They're like Neanderthal man. They're, they're like these in-betweens, these missing links. Well, Let's just see the kind of problems that causes right here. There, number one, is no immediate intermediate fossils that prove Darwin's claim from molecules to man evolution or from the goo through the zoo to you. All we have are variations of ape-like fossils like Lucy, and, and these are the ones they have in museums, and different kind of humans like Neanderthals. These were just different kind of humans. Now, what are examples of people that look way different than us but are still people? Australians, aboriginals. And guess what they thought they were? Missing links. And they killed them, evolutionists, and they put them in museums until they began to realize that they're humans just like us. But from an evolutionary standpoint, wouldn't that just make sense to them? They're darker skin. They have longer jaws, broader brows. They, they walk a little bit hunched over. They're, they're closer to an ape than us. That's where it leads because, number two, human value 
If we did come from animals, there is no such thing as objective morals. Number one, we're just animals. No meaning in life. No things like racism, infanticide, genocide, euthanasia. They're all good in need to help the strongest and fittest survive. And otherwise, might is right and the meek are weak. Now, don't take my word for it. Let's look at what Darwin said. Charles Darwin, right? Everybody wants to believe in him. Say, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Okay. I believe in God and science. But look what happens when you just believe in science without God. Charles Darwin said this in The Descent of Man. At some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace throughout the world the savage races. There you go. Darwinian ethics right there. You see, there's a point in our history that people are ashamed of and don't want to bring up in the science uh, discussion anymore. And that's called eugenics. And that's what Nazi Germany was about. And that was just the simple understanding of Darwin's beliefs. If there are stronger dogs, what would you rather have with you throughout the winter, a Chicago winter, to go hunting with? A pit bull or a chihuahua? Okay? Now, that pit bull's hungry. What should it eat tonight for dinner? What's wrong with that? Come on. A lion eats a zebra. Pit bull eats a chihuahua. You kill your children and eat them. You kill the old to make more room in your house. You exterminate other races. Isn't that what Planned Parenthood did through abortion? And that's why you can look online right now at the Black Genocide. Is it blackgenocide.com? .org, and you can see African Americans who become awakened to this, that, that just like liquor stores are more prevalent in the inner city, the African American people are being killed more than any other race in these abortion clinics because this goes back to the genocide, the eugenics that people used to believe. They don't deserve to have life. What is, the, what, what is the value of human beings? And I've read this to you guys here countless times, but if you're new to this conference, this, this man has helped me preach more than anybody else in this subject, Alex Rosenberg, and I was just listening to him again. He's an atheist philosopher, and he debated William Lane Craig. He said, you know, the question is, is there a God? No, and all these things. He gives, his real, he gives the real answer of atheism. Now look at what he says right here. He says right here, the question is, is there anything different, any difference between right and wrong, good and bad? And listen to his answers. And this is put, should put the fear of God in every single one of you right now. He says there is no moral difference between them. What is the difference between good and bad, Alex Rosenberg, Ph.D. philosopher, teaching our kids in universities? What's the difference? There is no difference. Why? Because in Darwinian evolution, there is no way for one race or one people, or one nation to say that they deserve rights. We got rights in America from our creator. You got the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness because of your creator. You take a creator out of there, you don't deserve any rights. You just have to survive. And if someone's stronger and fitter, you're weaker. And then you listen to atheists try to say, well, we all know that's wrong. Well, how do you know it's wrong? And then they tried to act like no one would actually act these things out. Do you know that in the 20th century, the 1900s, more death came to this planet than any other time in history? They estimate almost 50 to 100 million people were killed in atheistic regimes. 
Stalin alone killed 25 million of his people in Russia. You see, they don't want to talk about this when they talk about Darwinian evolution. No, what they want to do is just spout out something that they heard off TV, the Bill Maher show, and then try to make you look dumb like you do religion, I do science. No, I'm going to do science and religion. Amen? Praise God. Put that in your atheistic pipe and smoke it. Here we go. Relativism, moving now to the next worldview. Still under secular secular skeptic belief, but now relativism. Absolute truth does not exist. Truth is relative to each person. And the way this comes up is simple. They say, that's true for you, but not true for me. You guys have heard me say this before, right? So if they say, that's not true for me, that, uh, they say, that may be true for you, but that's not true for me. What do you say? Is that true? <laughs> See, you got to ask them, is that true? Absolute truth doesn't exist. Truth is just relative to each person. Okay, is your statement Absolute truth doesn't exist. Absolutely true. If the statement is true, you have contradicted yourself, which makes the statement illogical. If the statement is not true, then absolute truth does exist, so not every one opinions can be true. So which one is it? Really, it's a question of dumb and dumber. That's why the Bible says the fool has said in their heart there is no God. And I gave this example yesterday, but I'm going to do it again in the Q&A, so I'm going to do it again. Somebody says, okay, okay, we're done. We're done. We're done discussing. You do you, I'm going to do me. Right? That's what they say. Okay? So I do you by, I do me by pimp slapping you and taking everything you have. What are they now going to say? Stop doing you. But who gives you the right to tell me to stop being me? Are you changing your mind? Oh, no, we can only be each other as long as we, we can only do what we want to do as long as we treat each other right. Well, hold on. What are you having to do to say something like that as we learned yesterday with, uh, with Jared? What are you having to do? What is that person doing? They're borrowing from our worldview. I'm going to need Adam, you to race this. Keep this up for me, please. Just in a second, sir. He's going to be the eraser. I want you guys to think about this. They say, you do you, I do me. And then all of a sudden, we have something break out like a war, and Hitler says, I'm just doing me. And then everybody says, no, you can't do that. And then they say something like this now. Okay, let's, let's just abide by this one rule. Let's just abide by this one rule. Just don't hurt anybody. You ever heard anybody say something like this? Well, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. Well, it doesn't hurt anybody. I believe this way. It doesn't hurt anybody. Okay, but the question is, that rule you just came up with, let's do what we want to do as long as we don't hurt anybody. Where did that come from? Did it come from a God-based morals or from a Darwinian-based morals? That statement that says, treat others good, where did that come from, God or Darwinian? God. So then you can't borrow our worldview to believe the way you want to. If you're going to borrow our worldview, then live it out by loving God first and then your neighbor as yourself. Or be the animal, which we don't want. We don't want Columbine people walking around. But, but, but the truism to that would be you, you live like that. That's what it looks like. And someone says, well, you know, life is so precious, we should value it. Who said life is precious? That's speciesism. You don't think an ant's life is precious, so why are human life precious? When, when you think about the cosmos and how big it is, we're so insignificant in this thing. 
I mean, think about it. We're in one solar system that's in a galaxy that has 100 billion stars with galaxies in those, uh, those, around those stars. 100 billion, right? And then there is a 100 billion galaxies in our universe. What in the world is a human to any of this? According to Darwinian evolution. We're nothing. None of this matters. The genocide, taking care of your children, being a cannibal, killing people. None of it matters. A hundred years, ten years, ten thousand years, it's not going to matter. Nothing matters. As a matter of fact, if, if life is that precious, then the old saying is true. Those who has the most toys wins. Just go for it all. The guy in prison, because he raped little girls and killed his enemies, he may suffer for a few years, but at least he got to live the good life for as long as he could. Think about that. What could an atheist say to a child-raping, murdering person? What could you say to a Hitler? You played by the wrong rules. Who made the rules? Who said I had to do it your way? You see, don't you, see, don't you understand the heart of rebellion? That's the heart of rebellion. And the point is they only want to take it so far. They want to stop right here and say, oh, I'm going to treat people the way I should, you know, this way. No, you're borrowing that from us. Would you please erase that? Let's give it up for Adam as he helps out today. Amen. Now, next, mathematics, because everybody's about math. You know, we're smart. We understand math. Like, we're so intelligent, right? You do, I'll do math. You do religion. Thank you, sir. Do you believe good mathematics is always true? So I don't believe things are always true. Okay, well, do you believe mathematics is true? Like two plus two is four? If yes, how is math itself grounded so our minds can discover it? Think about that. How did we discover math? We're not inventing math. We're discovering math. Sir Isaac Newton discovered physics discovered Albert Einstein, discovered it, and it didn't change when someone else looked at it. How did we discover it? Where was it? Where was it hiding a 1,000 years ago? Where was nuclear physics hiding a 1,000 years ago? It was here, but our mind discovered it, right? So is there ever a time you can show me when 2 plus 2 equals 4? No, it's uniform. So since math is always true and can be discovered, we must assume that a mind greater than ours gives it the substance of thought. Otherwise, it wouldn't be discoverable by our minds, meaning only minds can communicate and discover information with other minds. I know that sounds deep, but I got a chart. <laughs> Come on. Just keep clapping because you're going to be here for a while. Hey, man, stay happy. So here's the chart, and I call this the information argument. You see, I believe that God's mind has information, and he puts information into the system. So mathematics, math, math, math science, morals are built into our system because they're grounded by God. And that's why we can discover them because God has a mind. God is not just a force like Obi-Wan Kenobi would talk about in, in, in Star Wars. Oh, the force. It's not yin and yang. God is a person. He has a mind with thoughts, and he places those thoughts in, as laws into our world, natural laws, mathematical laws, moral laws. And how do we then discover them in this place? We discover them with our mind. So the simple thing is, 
If we did not have a mind, could we understand the information of math, logic, and truth? Does an ant right now understand math? Okay, so what's the difference between you and an ant? You have a mind. Okay? So now say that, so that's where you got to start. So we know this is already happening. Information's coming back and forth. We're doing it every day. So now if there wasn't a mind, we could never discover it. We wouldn't know such thing as math and all of these things. So now, once again, work it backwards. If it takes a mind to discover it, where is it then coming from? If a mind is not giving it, then where is it coming from? Does this bottle of water put physics into our natural world? Is a rock responsible for the laws of gravity? So we say to the atheists, give me another solution. And they may say at this point, well, you just keep throwing God everywhere where we don't know things. No, I'm not throwing up God just wherever we don't know things. I'm not saying God this and God that. They call that the God of the gaps. You know, why does it thunder and lightning? Because that's what God does, you know. Why, why do people get sick? That's what God does. You know, that was ignorant religion. Jesus taught against that, and the Old Testament taught against that. We never put our faith in those kinds of things. We, we said God could do miracles, but we didn't say God was in the laws of nature. That made us different than idolaters and people who worship the stars. That was not our way of thinking. Our God was not made like that. He wasn't a star or a sun, like a sun god. Are you with me? So we've always said that our God is a spirit. And so as a spirit, he has a mind. And so think of your body being the car in which your mind drives around in. Your mind, your mind, which we would call your soul, your mind, will, and emotions is seated in your body. This is where your soul is. It's seated in your body with five senses and organs. But what gives that soul life is the spirit. And God is a spirit, and so he communicates through your mind. So a brain, a, a brain in a jar doesn't understand things. It's like an engine by itself doesn't push down the pedal to make it go. You need a mover in the car to push it and make it go. Your body needs a mover. That's your soul. That's why when your body dies, your soul is no longer there because you can't function in a dead body. But when God created you, he created you, Adam and Eve, originally to have a soul in, seated in a body that would never die. Are you guys tracking with me? That's why when this body dies as a part of the curse, your soul is up in heaven until eventually it gets a new body, which you'll forever have joined together. So you were always meant to be a soul in a body. There is a you within the flesh of you as you look at your hands and you have these thoughts. That is you. And that you discovers things. And not only does it discover information, it discovers relationships. And relationships come from minds. Okay, unless you're a cat person. And then it just comes from your cat doing whatever it does. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I hope you guys got that. If not, look at the notes some more. And I'll take questions at the end. Here's another thing that relativism may say. And by the way, the reason why you can have a relationship with your cat is because you have a mind. But the kind of relationship you have with your cat is not the kind of relationship it has with other cats. Think about that. You have a different kind of relationship because you are a mind. 
Look at the next one. All religions, see this would be something they may say next, all religions are based on faith, so there's no really way to tell which one is right. I don't know if you've ever heard something like that. I just heard it the other day when Jared had his father's funeral here, one of his family friends were here, and, you know, we're kind of going through all this, and they're realizing that there's really nowhere to go on these moral issues and, uh, you know, first causes, and so they're like, okay, I can see. I mean, there's probably a God somewhere. I mean, most people who think like this, you know, unless they're stubborn about it, they'll admit, like, yeah, that stuff doesn't make sense without a God. I get it. But, I mean, there's really no way to tell which one of your religions is right. So I'm just going to be the smarter one out of the bunch and just say, if there is a God, he's going to reward me for being smart by not choosing one of these competing religions because they're all kind of ignoramuses. You got one over here that believes that if you're not circumcised, you're not right. You know, what, what, what God would care about your genitalia? Right, And then you got another God over here that says, well, you, you know, you can't eat animals. And he's so concerned about that. What God would care about that, you know? And then you got another God over here that says you have to meditate. So their idea is religion is just all man do. It's just man's way of make-believing and putting stuff together. And this is what we would call deism. This was what our founding, some of our founding fathers were. And this was what, like... Um, Albert Einstein was, and, and George Washington. And this is, idea is, is God, and I'm going to need you to erase this again, sir, is God is here in his world, and we're here in our world, and they don't meet up together. So it is a created uh, world we're in, but God kind of took the world and the universe like a bowling ball and just threw it down and said, okay, now I'm done with it. You know, there it is. So there's no interaction between God and here. That's deism. What's the complete opposite of deism? I want pastors to help as well. What's the complete opposite? Pantheism. So is it Catholicism. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to bring them up every chance I can. The Roman Catholics. <laughs> no. The total opposite of deism, which is God is separate from the world, is pantheism, which is God is the world. And and some people in India believe this. So we're talking to one of our, our, our waiters in India, and I'm like, who do you believe or what do you believe God is? And he holds up the spoon. I believe this is God. I believe the table is God. I believe you're God. So in that understanding, they don't see creation separate from the creator. Now, once again, the same things with the first cause would come into instance here. Because can I be my own father? No. So if I am the universe, then the universe can't technically have a beginning. One has to come before the other. God has to start the universe. And so the universe is like God's Apple computer, and he's the Steve Jobs. He and the computer cannot be equal in the same. Otherwise, there would be no causality. Okay, and that's a different discussion, but I, I think you guys are catching on to that. I cannot be my own father. Does everybody get that point? Okay. So what do we say? Well, okay, all religions are about the same, and they're all crazy. What do we do? We go to Jesus' resurrection. That's the first thing we do. Paul made the argument in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then it's wrong. Can you please erase that, good sir? So Paul started this argument off, and it's still held to this day, which is, you want to disprove my faith? Like, you know, I know how to disprove Islam. I know how to disprove Mormonism. Okay, but you want to know how to disprove Christianity? Show us that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That's what Paul said. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 15, because if, Paul, uh, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're to be pitied. 
But we heard 15, uh, 14 proofs yesterday of Christ's resurrection, and it is the most verifiable act of God upon our earth, and for a very good reason, because your salvation depends upon it. And it convinces the most hardened skeptics, Lee Strobel, a Chicago Tribune lawyer who worked as a reporter, was converted by trying to disprove it. Josh McDowell, many, many others all throughout history. And not only that, uh, Christianity converts more of the world's religions than any other religions. So you look at Pakistan, we're winning them, not, win not the other way around. Look at India, we're winning them, not the other way around. In China, we're winning them, not the other way around. Almost 100 million Christians right now in China. You're in the greatest end-time harvest that's ever been around, okay? Out of all religions, communism, ways of thinking, God is moving. And the reason is Jesus. Jesus showing up in dreams and visions. Jesus is speaking his word. Jesus is demonstrating his power through signs, wonders, and miracles. If you haven't seen the video, it's put out by a 700 Club called Dreams. And it talks about how these Muslims saw Jesus. One was in an African village. Like Mozambique used to be mostly all Muslim a uh, hundred years ago. Now it's almost all Christian through efforts like Heidi Baker, Nigeria. And they're killing us, and they still can't stop it, the spread of Christianity, like in Nigeria with Reinhard Bonnke. But this one African village, they were losing. The Christians uh, kept converting their people. One of the Muslim men said, listen, study the Bible, refute it, and get the information out there. In this, uh, in this video, the man testifies, I was assigned to disprove the Bible. While I did that, I saw a vision of Jesus and converted. <laughs> okay? Boom shakalaka. So don't put us in the buffet of religion and say they're all right. They're all not right. They can't be. Either most, you know, it was, they're, they're, at some point some of them have to be wrong and some can be right, or all of them are wrong. But when you look at Jesus' resurrection, there's nothing like it. And then the, the, the second thing here is reasonable faith. We're not just saying because, um, let me just read here, though believers have faith in God concerning miracles, that doesn't mean faith is unreasonable or illogical. Faith-based claims in religious teachings correspond with facts. In other words, they must be true in the world, real world, not just make-believe. So when we talk about the walls of Jericho coming down, you, you know, archaeology was started to try to disprove the Bible, but it keeps proving the Bible. And yes, there are still skeptics, but there has been so many proofs through archaeology, and the reason is because these things actually happened in history and when we look back into history we expect to see the things of the Bible where people who have these myths aren't looking back to see when Krishna did such and such a thing or a claim of Hercules we're still believing in our miracles and we're pointing people to these places like the walls of Jericho coming down okay so now let's go to our second set of um, beliefs that we're going to discuss so we've talked about Darwinian evolution and relativism which is just, you know, everything is true. You know, you go your way, I go my way. Now we're going to go into Christian cults, starting with who I like to call the J-dubs. Everybody say the J-dubs. I am moving as fast as I can. Probably in 10 minutes I'm going to let you guys stretch, stretch out, and then we'll keep going, okay? So basically the J-dubs will say something like this, and a lot of them have the same attacks, by the way. So the devil, he makes sure that all the different people kind of get together and say the same thing. So one of the things that we always get attacked on is the Trinity. Muslims will bring this up. Jehovah Witnesses will bring this up. So it's a common thing that will happen. So the idea that Jehovah Witnesses will say is that the Trinity is a pagan concept. There's only one God in the Bible. So now they're using the Bible as us, okay? So now they're not, they're, they're not atheists, whatever. They're using the Bible. And they'll say, really, if you look at the Bible, there's only one God. He's the Father. 
And Jesus is his first creation. That's why he's called the son of God. So the father created him, and he's his son. And then they'll look to scriptures that say, the father is greater than I. So they'll say, how can God be greater than God, right? So if Jesus is God, and he says, the father is greater than me, then that's a contradiction. That's what they'll say. How can Jesus be God, and the father be God, and the father be greater than Jesus? And then they'll show you scriptures where it says, Jesus was hungry, Jesus was tired, Jesus ate. And then they'll ask you a simple question, does God need to eat? Does God get tired? Okay, so Jesus got tired. How did this happen? Well, the problem is they don't understand the Trinity, that the very thing they're attacking. We are saying that we believe in one God who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're not saying the Son is the Father. We're not saying the Father is the Holy Spirit. We're saying these are three separate persons who are one God, and they share the one divine essence of God. Okay, are you with me there? Now, Jesus took on flesh to be the Savior of the world. He never stopped being God, but I want to draw this line here. And he comes to earth as God in the flesh. He had existed before he came here, and he came in the flesh. So when he's in the flesh, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that he limited himself so that he may be sacrificed in his flesh. And then now somebody may say, well, can God die? Can God die? Well, first of all, the way they're trying to make this sound, it's not even theologically correct. Jehovah Witnesses, Muslims, they both use the same argument, but they're both not being honest with their own beliefs. When your body dies, do you believe that your existence is over? No. When your body dies, what do you believe happens? Your soul goes on, right? So what we really call you in all religions is really not a body. Don't we all believe that you live on after your body? Muslims talk about paradise, same thing with Jehovah's Witnesses. So when they say God died, we're not saying that God's spirit inside his fleshly body died. That's not what any of us are saying. That's not what Christians are saying. That's not even what we're saying among the different religions when we say our body died. What we're saying is a body died. My body died. So when we say Jesus died, we mean his soul came into flesh. That flesh died. He never stopped being God. He never stopped existing. He was always God the whole entire time. Okay? Just like you won't stop existing when your body dies. So you want to help them understand what they're trying to say is also incorrect to their own position. Jesus clearly taught that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit shared the same name. In Matthew 28, baptized them in the name singular of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Jehovah Witnesses love to mention that they like to use the name Jehovah to represent the Father of the Old Testament. So you ask them, what is the name of the Father? They say Jehovah. Then what name does Jesus have? What name does the Holy Spirit have? Because it doesn't say baptize them in the names of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It says baptize them in the name. So here... Right here we have name, and then we have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Does everybody get this right here? So we ask them, what is the name of the Father? What are they going to say the name of the Father is? Jehovah, right? But it says one name right here, baptized in the name. So if this name is already assumed for the Father, what would be the name of the Son in this, in this situation? Jehovah. What would be the name of the Holy Spirit? Y'all going slow with me. Half of you are with me. The other half, I'm going uh, to wake you up, speed you up a little bit. It says baptize in the name, singular, the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
If the names was there, plural, then we could say, well, names of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are three separate names. The Father's name in that sense could be Jehovah. The name of the Son would be Jesus, right? The name of the Holy Spirit would be like the Spirit of God. But it doesn't say names, plural. There's no S there. It just says name. So that means whatever it applies to the Father has to apply to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Now ask yourself, can, I, can you erase that for me, please? Why does Jesus share the name of Jehovah? Why does the Holy Spirit share the name of Jehovah? Because Jehovah is the name of the God, singular, of Israel. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God revealed in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why, thank you, sir, when you go to Genesis 18 in your Bible, you don't have to go there now, it says Jehovah came and met with Abraham and two other angels. So here's Jehovah and two other angels, angel one and angel two. And here's Jehovah. And then Jehovah has a meal with him, it says, and they eat. And then the angels go to Sodom and Gomorrah, and then he speaks to Abraham face to face. But the Bible says no one has ever seen God and lived. So who did they see this day by the name of Jehovah? Who was the God of Israel revealing himself to Abraham? It was Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord represents Jehovah. Jehovah's name is over the Lord. So we don't believe in three names of God. There is one name of our God, Jehovah, Yahweh. There's attributes and des the de descriptions of him, like El Shaddai and these things. But his Old Testament name, when Moses said, Who should I say sent me? He said, Tell him that I am that I am has sent you. And we call that person Jehovah, Yahweh. Are you with me? But all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, bear that name. That's why Jesus said, I'm taking this slow, but you all caught up now? He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the argument is very simple. Does the Father have another name other than Jehovah? And they will not compromise on that. They are forced to say the Father's name is always Jehovah. But now if it's a singular name and it's saying the Son and the Holy Spirit share it, what is the Son and the Holy Spirit's name? He also, they also are Jehovah. We don't believe in three Jehovahs, one Jehovah. Read the Athanasian Creed, and I believe you'll see it a little bit better if you still have questions, okay? Jared, do you know how to find the Athanasian Creed? Where did he disappear to? Jared, where are you at? He got raptured. Well, we would be in trouble. Nancy, would you go get my, uh, where are you at, buddy? Hanging out, breastfeeding? No, oh, come on, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Will you do me a favor? Could you go get the rag? Nancy, my, my sweat towel. Hold on to your questions here. Come on, stick with the, the pro. Where are you going? No, I'm kidding. I am kidding about him finding. I just want him to sit here. I was asking if he knew where I was at. Okay, grab a seat, sir. Come on. See, now I'm just getting silly. Jehovah Witnesses. Here's their second argument. If Christianity is true, then why are there so many different denominations? Just there's only one Jehovah Witness organization. So th this is the same kind of argument, once again, Muslims and Catholics love to bring up. Oh, you guys, you think you're right. Well, look at all your different organizations. We have just one organization, and I'm not going to read this thing here. But the bottom line is this. 
Anytime you have a top-down structure where they excommunicate everybody that disagrees with them, you can make that same statement. So how many Metro Praises are there? They're just one. I can kick out anybody that doesn't agree with Metro Praise. The Jehovah Witnesses don't, uni- uh, don't show some great unity because there's only one watchtower. It's actually more like brainwashing. They make every single place do the same exact thing every single week, every what they call kingdom halls, what they call their churches. And if they don't do it, they're kicked out. And there's a plentiful number of people, thank you, who have been kicked out. So this idea that they'll bring up to you that you guys having Baptists and Pentecostals doesn't show unity like we show unity. No, we could be the same way. We could say, if you're not in the assemblies of God, everybody's going to hell, okay? We could do the same exact thing they do, but that is not what makes it right. And then the funny thing is if they bring up something like that, and the Mormons love to do this by saying, look, we have a priesthood. We can trace back to the time of Joseph Smith. Well, I can do the same thing. I can trace back to Brother Anthony. I can trace back I can trace back to whoever I want to trace back to. That's not the question. The question is, is the authority based in the Word of God? And then when you look at history, going back to the time of Jesus, uh, church history, from the time of the cross to right now 2,000 years, does any of this matter? No, the popes don't matter. The Book of Mormon doesn't matter. Jehovah Witnesses don't matter. We see here that the Christians were a certain kind of way, and that's exactly the way we are today. And if not, show me different. So all you have to do is ask a Roman Catholic, very simply, okay, you believe in praying to the saints? Show me in the Bible one time they prayed to the saints. Okay, Mormons, you believe in temples and priesthood. Show me one time that they did that, all right? And then you say to Jehovah Witness because they're going to say, well, you know, we only do what the Bible does. Okay, show me one person in church history that didn't believe in the Trinity. Show me one person that didn't believe in hell. Show me your beliefs in our church writings, and they can't do it. Okay, it's a facade of unity. We call it the daddy spirit, you know. They just always want a, a big sugar daddy, you know. Well, the watchtower makes me feel so good, and the Mormon temple makes me feel so good. The Roman pope makes me feel so good. That doesn't mean it's right. Okay, let's go on now to their buddies, the Mormons. You guys with me? Okay, going quickly through this, and we'll stretch out here. Uh, right after, We'll do the Mormons, and then we'll stretch out. Okay, so now the Mormons are going to say this, this thing about Joseph Smith. And by the way, I, when I was studying Islam, the similarities between Islam and uh, Adam, can you keep up with this good sir? <laughs> poor guy? Let's give it up for Adam. He is an awesome worship leader and a servant. When I was studying Islam, one of the most revealing things that the missionaries told me who are working in Islamic countries is that Islam and Mormonism have so many things in common. And let me just explain to you, because the next one I'm going to get into is Islam. Mormonism and Islam have three things in common. Both of them say that their prophet had a visitation from an angel. Okay? Muhammad said he had the angel Gabriel come to him. Joseph Smith said he had the angel Moroni come to them. They then had another book. The Mormons had the Book of Mormon, and then the Muslims came up with the Quran. So now they're saying, this angelic vision gave me another book, and you need to have it. Islam came in 600 A.D., Mormonism came in 1800 A.D. So what do we do with the time of Jesus that whole time, right? What has the world done? What did the world do without the Book of Mormon, right? So if they're right, what do we do for 600 years? They say it got corrupted. And then you say here with the Book of Mormon, what do we do for 800 years, 1800 years? They have to say it got corrupted. So for their case to make any, oh, and the third thing is here that they deny who Jesus is. They deny who Jesus is. The Mormons, the Muslims are going to dethrone Jesus from being God, and they're going to say now he was just a prophet. He's not God. 
The Mormons are going to dethrone Jesus by saying he is not the only God. He is one of many of gods. He's just the God of this planet. So he's no longer the Jesus of the Bible. Does everybody get that? So we got angelic vision, new book, and uh, dethroning Jesus. And so this is what we say when they say this objection to us. Joseph Smith was a prophet called to restore the church to its two doctrines because of the apostasy of the Roman Catholic Church. And I'm not going to read all this because I'm going to save time on this. But the bottom line is what they're trying to assume is apostasy. What they want to say is right around this time, right here, right around 325 A.D., the Roman Catholics, who we agree messed things up, but they want to say the Roman Catholics messed up things so much that they had to come and get another book. Okay, now watch this. Can you erase this for me, good sir, please? The problem is when they say that, when, oh, I love this guy. You might just want to sit up next to it and just get like a little stick and just erase it or something. The problem is, thank you, the problem is when they say this, watch. We're just going to deal with the Mormons right now. Okay, so here was Jesus, 30 A.D. Then they want to say right here, 325 A.D., things got corrupted. And now at 1800 A.D., Joseph Smith gets the revelation, and then now the Book of Mormon sets everything in order. Okay, is everybody tracking with this right here? Okay, how can we simply prove this wrong? Whatever they say here, we can go back into this time period and try to find it. And if we don't find it, they're lying. Okay? So if Mormons say, we believe in multiple gods, we don't believe in monotheism, we believe in polytheism, there's multiple gods. Jesus and Satan were spirit brothers. That was lost. And now the angel Moroni came back and told us that. And here's the, the book that proves it. What do we say? We go back to history and say, show me one Christian in this time period that believed what you just said. Show me in the Bible and show me anywhere in church history. They say, well, we believe that when we die, we get our own planets, we become a god, and now we have wives with us, multiple polygamous wives, and we get to make spirit babies to populate our own planet, and then we get to become like Jesus to our planet. So it's an endless idea of gods making gods. That's what they believe. And then, Jared, you remember going, Jared and I went to the founding of the Mormons. See, a lot of people don't know that Nauvoo, Illinois, is the founding of the Mormon church. See, he founded it, uh, he, he, um, he had his visions in New York, but he came to Nauvoo and established the church. And he actually made a prophecy that his home that he built, he built like a big mansion, and he said, Abraham's coming back to earth, and he's going to live in this mansion. But, of course, Abraham never came, and he just had the mansion all to himself. It's something what these kooky cult leaders can get away with, right? But you, am I not telling the truth? This is exactly what they believe. This is not myth. So the problem is you have to prove it here, and they can't, okay? And now let's go to the next one. So I am trying to save you guys some time. I have it written up there so you can see it if you want it. Uh, would you put up the next one for me, please? I think I got it. There we go. Okay, now this is the attack on the Bible. Once again, a lot of people want to attack the Bible, and what they're going to say is we need the Book of Mormon because during this whole time, Scripture was corrupted. And they'll point to some, you know, smart people that are in universities right now that, that are, you know, doubting the Word of God, coming up with variants in our translations. And I could talk about that later. But very simply, it's the same type of argument. I can show you our Bibles and manuscripts in this time period right here, and it's not anything you're saying. It's incorrect. And so they're basically taking half-truths and selling their lie. 
and let's go uh, to stretch up a little bit. Why don't you guys just stand up and stretch. We'll get into Islam next. Wonderful. Say hi to your neighbor. Adam's going to erase the board again. <laughs> I love you, bro. Come on. I'm talking. I'm trying to write. Because I was like, did you see me talk? Because it shakes. Look what I'm not like. Yeah, there's nothing I could do. Take two more minutes. We'll meet back at 410 as, a, as according to this clock up there. Write down your questions. We'll have a Q&A at the end. Okay. Okay, about six, uh, 30 more seconds, rather. Write down your questions. We'll take them at the end. All right, why don't we come on and grab our seats. Time flies when you're having fun. I just wanted you guys to stretch out. Come on, uh, let's knock it out here. I want you guys to have fun sitting down, listening. Now, Brian is going to continue on with this lecture. He is going to do the section now on Islam. <laughs> you, were, you were going to do it, too. I love it. Don't tease him, yes. Whenever he saw that if he just came up and, like, just ripped it, yeah, just, whoa. <laughs> okay. So I wrote a whole book on Islam, right? I mean, these are, these are, like, huge subjects. I'm trying to give you guys the best understanding and the research. Those things that I'm saying, like, for example, Textual evidence. If you want to learn more about defending the Bible, you can learn about textual criticism, and there's books that will help you do that. That's the subject you're going to study under. Islam is going to attack Jesus in the sense that they're going to say, we love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. We just don't think Jesus was God. And what is that argument they're going to use? Very similar to the Jehovah Witness argument. Jesus can't be God because God isn't a man. You remember, Jesus was a man. So that, I mean, that's a contradiction right there according to them. Jesus was a man that got tired. He needed to eat. He was limited in power. Now, if you understand the Trinity, you know how to answer this. We believe that God is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So Jesus comes and takes on flesh. When Jesus took on flesh, he lived as a man. Now, let me give you an example of this. This may be a little bit philosophically challenging, but I know we can do it, okay? Whatever is you right now, the self we call you, the soul, can you imagine if you were in, say, another kind of body? Like, could you imagine yourself being in Arnold Schwarzenegger's body? Just think about it. It's, it's imaginable. It's not 
You're not contradicting anything. Am I right? Come on, just think about it. Could you imagine that? Now, let's just keep going. You've watched Mr. Ed or, you know, these, uh, these movies that are out today. Could you imagine if you were inside of like an animal? And maybe that animal could talk or do whatever. Yes. Okay, this is the same type of thing. I, and I hate to make these comparisons, but there's nothing philosophically contradicting about our belief that God comes into flesh. He is still God. He is just now in flesh. He limited himself in that body. Now, the cool thing about it is, is that he did it joyfully to forever be joined to that body. And so Jesus is forever God in the flesh. He never stops being a man now. He has flesh. When you see him, he has flesh. So what does this tell us about the image of mankind? It is not junk, and it's not an animal. God made us in his image. And when he redeemed us, he forever identified with us. And God is not identifying as a monkey. So God made you fearfully and wonderfully. The human image is the image of God. And the rational mind and the th blessing of thought and all of these things, they're not to be taken for granted. They're, they're to make us feel special and to understand, not that it's about that, but we should honor it, not mock it. And so if the Muslim can't understand how Christ could be in a body, then they don't understand anything about metaphysics. Because the question would be to ask them, when your body dies here, where do you go? How do you go up there and then have sex with virgins? Because they believe that. It's not a, that's not a myth. They believe that. Well, what body do you have? Is it the same body? No. So why couldn't Jesus be up there and take on a body down here and still be Jesus? But it's the opposite. Instead of having a body up there that's supernatural, he came, uh, like we would say like in paradise or something, he comes here and takes on an earthly body that is limited to having to have food. So if Jesus came here and lived like Superman, he wouldn't have identified with us as a human being, would he? So let's say Jesus never got hungry. Is he identifying as man? No. Let's say Jesus was never tempted. Is he identifying as man? No. If Jesus didn't have a body that could die, could he ever be the lamb that was prophesied? He couldn't do what Isaiah 53 said, pierce for our iniquities, right? He could not do that. Okay, moving on to the next objection from Islam. We don't believe Jesus died on the cross because the Quran tells us God took him to heaven and made someone else look like him. And this is the, the part of the Quran that I do want to read so that you can hear it. Uh, Surah chapter 4, verse 157. If anybody has a Quran, you can turn there with me. How many are excited to be learning something today? Amen. And you know your pastor cares about this subject. I wrote a book about it. This is not things I take lightly. If people are watching this over the video and are thinking that this is uh, just things that I've glossed over, no, obviously for the sake of time, I have to uh, gloss over things. But this is something that I've invested my life in. Chapter 4 of the Quran, verse 157. And uh, there's a big contradiction with this, and I'm going to show you why Islam will fall apart just based on this, because Jesus is the cornerstone, amen? And I'll, I'll share with you very quickly how to share your faith with, with Muslims and, uh, and show that it cannot be what is true. And, I, and I'll explain that to you. This is what it says in their Quran. And for their saying, this is what they say the Jews say, 
We have certainly killed the Messiah, Esau, that's who they call Jesus, the son of Miriam, the messenger of Allah. Well, in fact, this is what Allah, they, they, uh, the Quran is saying, the Jews say, we've killed him. But Allah says, while in fact they did neither kill him nor crucify him, but they were deluded by resemblance. Those who dispute in this matter certainly are in doubt about it. They have no knowledge of it, but they follow whims. It is absolutely certain, certain that they did not kill him. Okay, so Islam makes the claim in that chapter and verse that the Jews did not kill Jesus. So how do we disprove the Quran? All we have to do is show that what? The Jews killed Jesus. Are you with me there? So the Quran says the Jews did not kill Jesus. How do you disprove the Quran? Okay, I'm going to say this again. Maybe I, no, no, no we're very close to the, yeah, but uh, I, I want to hear a, a certain phrase. It's, it's a certain phrase that I'm looking for right now, and it's like a 1984, you know, uh, Chardonnay. <laughs> okay, here, here's, the, here's the thing. The Quran says the Jews did not kill Jesus. Did it not just say that as I read it? Surah chapter 4, verse 157. If we want to disprove the Quran, what do we have to prove happened? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, Pastor Adam's like, Jews killed Jesus. Come on, man. I'm done wiping your board down and all that. This is called a night, Pastor. It's called a night. Got to get up early. Okay, so all we have to do is prove the Jews killed Jesus. Well, guess what is the number one agreed-upon fact of history about Jesus from non-Christians, Christians, Jews, the entire world over? What is the one thing in universities, Bart Ehrman, Jesus Seminar, what is the one thing they all agree upon? The Jews killed Jesus. And that is so true, yet so sad, because we got to say this with grace now, 1.6 billion people are deceived. And that's how the devil is. He's a deceiver. He convinced them the blood of Jesus was not for their sins by trying to convince them he did not die. And, it, I mean, this is, the this is the whole entire purpose of Christianity. This is what our whole belief is built upon. And yet, in one verse, they try to make it sound like that it did not happen. And yet all of history confirms that it happens. And so now, what is the problem? The problem is, in modern culture, the Muslim knows this. And he knows that it's an embarrassment to him. So what they now say is this. They crucified him, but he did not die from the crucifixion. So they used to say that someone was made to look like him, and they thought that when Judas looked like, like Allah made Judas look like Jesus, and they're like, there's Jesus, let's take him, and then Jesus escapes. Now, first of all, that makes Jesus look like a coward, right? Are you looking for me? Yeah, whoop, I don't look like me anymore, whoop, he looks like me. That's what they literally believe, and, they, and Jesus said, go take him. It's a coward. They made our Jesus look like a coward. That's another thing, okay? So whenever a Muslim comes, you go, oh, I love Esau, we love Esau. No, that's like you saying, I love Joe the transvestite. It's like, whoa, what, what are you talking about? Oh, I love Pastor Joe. He's a transvestite, isn't he? Isn't he a she-male or something? You know, it's like, hold on. I mean, I love transvestites, but I, what Joe are you talking about? 
Or if somebody said this, oh, I love that. I love Joe. He he be pimping women down there on the street, man. He he be making lots of money. But hold on, Joe was a pimp. If you say you love and respect Jesus, but he was a coward that made Judas look like him, and then he runs away, you're not talking about Jesus, the Jesus I know. And then if you say this Jesus didn't die on a cross, what Jesus are you talking about? Okay, so the, the, the point here simply is this, that to get away from this now, they've tried to say that Jesus was put up there, but he didn't die. And then when they put him in the grave, God then took him to heaven. That has just as many problems as their first belief, and it actually contradicts their own text because it says they did not kill him nor did they crucify him so for them to try to keep up with modern history for their worldview to match the facts they're having to twist their own scriptures and that's what's sad about it and i'm telling you the central message we speak to everybody especially muslims is that jesus was was crucified, buried, and rose again from the grave. Amen. Isn't that so wonderful that Jesus gave us that message to preach? It's the most provable message. It's that you can investigate it, and it comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, quickly moving down now to the New Age religion, and look at your neighbor and go spiritual. Look at your other neighbor and say, we're going to get spiritual. Let's get spiritual, spiritual. Let's get spiritual, spiritual. Let's get spiritual, spiritual. <laughs> Just like clapping like that. Anybody ever seen anybody clap like that? <laughs> you see like worship leaders? Come on, everybody, clap. Clap with me now. Woo, okay. <laughs> Having fun. It's okay to have fun in church. Okay, now the New Age doesn't have any definitions or boundaries because that's why they're called the New Age. They're basically the smorgasbord of religion. And this is what you would find like at a Wicker Park or the Yuppies or uh, just people just wanting to experiment. And there's a lot of doors that lead you here. And some of you might have found yourself there by accident. Astrology will lead you there. Uh, going to these markets to buy fresh groceries will lead you there because you might start finding people that believe certain ways about food. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with believing against eating at McDonald's, even though I love McDonald's, okay? But, like, if you start hanging around that crowd, you'll get around people that, that, that have a real strong belief about food and they'll start bringing you towards vegetarianism. Like, I've seen this happen. You're like, we're all health conscious and we go here and then before you know it, you'll start buying the, the, you know, the vegetarian food. And so just be careful when you shop at Whole Foods not to turn into a new ager, okay? You guys are like, pastor's weird. Listen to me. I want you to eat McDonald's. No. But I want you to, uh, I, I just want you to be careful. What's another thing? People who are health conscious can get sucked into this because then it's what, like yoga, idolizing your body? Because they make their body, like how we as Christians believe like, like our body's the temple. And the reason we eat a lot is because we want to make a lot of room in the temple for Jesus to dwell. That's why Christians always pack a little, you know what I'm saying? Like you look at like the New Agers, they're like little skinny little temples, you know what I'm saying? You got, li you got little room for Jesus. I got big room for Jesus. Jesus got a mansion up in here, okay? But no, like, what begins to really happen is they start idolizing their body. So these are like inroads. Another thing is music. I, you know, sometimes you look into, like, uh, you know, this relaxing music. You get massages. You know, like Jerry, she works in physical therapy. And they put on, like, bang, 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 you know, like those, those sounds, you know, and, and then the streams, you know. It's just there's a lot of doors that can lead people to new age, okay? And you just got to be careful 
that you don't fall into these traps. All of these things uh, that I've mentioned are actually good. You know, if you want to be healthy, that's good. Exercise, that's good. Meditating is good. There's nothing wrong with, like, doing some stretch, you know. That's okay. But if you're, if you're going to start chanting things while you're doing it, that's when you've got to be careful, okay. So this would be one of the things they'll say. That, you know, they're not going to have, like, one book and one doctrinal thing. They're known for the idea of just everything being spiritual. That's just the idea. Everything's spiritual. Okay, and one of the ideas is all of us have God on the inside of us. All we have to do is look within. Has anybody ever heard that? Like God's on the inside of everybody. All of us got a little spark of divine on the inside. Well, that's not true. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that we're sinners on the inside. And that the further you go down, I'm going to find myself. You're going to find a little dirty, rotten you. Because the further you go, the dirtier and filthier you get, you know. But they want to keep looking at themselves and how pure they are. And that's why they do all these outward things. So if I can meditate and take things from Buddhism, like this one guy was telling me, like he does a form of Buddhism, but it's not true Buddhism, you know, so it's like a form, so it falls into New Age. Like his biggest boast was, I can sit for three hours without moving. And I'm like, dude, what is the point of that? Like, what is, the, what did you, well, I just, I controlled myself and I controlled my breathing. You see, they're living in a fantasy world. They're living in a fantasy world that they think if they do these things, this affects their spirit. That does nothing for their spirit. Just because you can walk on rice paper or be a, some ninja or do whatever or meditate or be a vegan. You know, because I was talking to our next door neighbor. He was like, uh, you know, uh, you know, right now we're vegetarians, and one day I want to be a fruititarian and just eat fruit, and I hopefully get to get to the place where I can just be an airitarian and live off air. And I'm like, why in God's green earth would you want to do that? If God did not want us to eat cows, he wouldn't have made them taste so good. You know? Exactly. Like he made cows for us to eat. And it was just so funny because I'm explaining this to my neighbor. He's, his father's from India, and he's visiting for the summer. And, like, the father, you could just see this look of shock on his face when he was just, like, you know, eating the cow. He, like, looked at me. He's like, what did a cow ever do to you? And I'm like, it got big and grew steaks. That's what it did. It grew, it grew tasty. Like in his mind, because Ricky was with me in India, it's literally what they say. They worship these cows. These cows walk around the streets. They get in the road. They make messes. People are starving, but they got cows. You know what I'm saying? And that's, uh, it's, it's like, you know, holy cow. You know, who used to say that here? Come on, somebody. Harry Carey, thank you. You know, it's like, holy cow. But this, this is real. But in their mind, it's, it's because they think that cow, since it has, uh, let's just say teats. Can I say teats here? Others. <laughs> it is like, okay, what did, here we, here we go. Like, I got to just get over this right now, but I can't. Forgive me. What did Aaron make when, when Moses was on the mountain? A golden Okay, so they're not too far off from what we've seen in our biblical history. And the calf was known as being the provider because it had the teats. So you could come and get the milk, and, and, and if you were hungry, you could eat it. That's what the pagans did, you know. So they just took it another step further and said, this is the nurturer. This is like this, is like this ultimate being on the planet, you know. Um, and not, goats, not so much. They'll eat a goat, you know, or something like that. If they're not vegetarians, they'll eat it. But uh, the cow got put on that special place. And so when we look at the Bible, we see that man is made separate than God, and he's above the animals. 
So that's why we can eat animals. Don't feel bad, you know. And then in our culture, what's, what's taboo? We can't eat dogs. But you know a dog's got to taste good, right? Like, just think about it. Just think about it. If that cow-looking-like thing tastes good and a pig tastes good, man, what in the world does your dog taste like? I mean, that thing has got to be filet mignon. That thing has got to be so tasty how good you take care of it, how well you feed it. But we look at it like, oh, that's so crazy. No, God made you to eat whatever you want to eat that's not a human. You want to eat a monkey. You want to eat a cat. You want to eat a canary. You want to eat a parakeet. You want to eat a whale. You can eat. Praise God. (laughs) Get you free up in here. Amen. Somebody was like one time posting on Facebook, oh, my goodness, they found horse meat in Aldi's. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, why aren't they putting that on the package? Like, I'll go get it right now. Like, black stallion ribs. All right. I'm ready to eat black stallion. I'm ready to eat that horse. See, we're the ones that just made pets out of animals. You know, we're like, oh, well, don't mess with that thing. No, man, we get hungry enough. We're putting that thing in the, in the, in the frying pan as well. Praise God. Amen. And why don't we eat men? Why, don't we, or why aren't we cannibals? Because what man is made in the image of God. So it's really all or nothing. If you choose to be a vegetarian, that's okay. But remember what the Bible says. It was actually written to vegetarians in Romans 14. If you become a vegetarian, do not think that eating meat makes, not eating meat makes you more spiritual. Because God made the meat to be eaten. And that's why I said, see, the the Darwinists cannot make a differentiation between eating humans and eating ducks or whatever. Because in them, we're all just species of animals. So can a crocodile, a one species, can can eat eat its own species if it wants? Sure. A crocodile eats, you know, you ever watch swamp people? They they cannibalize themselves. What would be the difference? Of course it could happen. But we're made in the image of God. And so we don't eat each other. Everybody say amen. Okay, New Age, last point here. I believe that all religions basically teach the same things, and so there are many different paths that all lead to the same God. And here is the, uh, the illustration that I was given on Belmont and Clark by a very smart person, and I enjoyed the conversation. And I'll put it right here. Uh, I'm going to do my best to draw an elephant. This is the ear. Here's the trunk. And then here's the legs. This is the elephant. That's not too bad. (laughs) It's not too bad. That is not too bad. Okay. Yeah, so now, I think that makes it better, right? Okay, so now imagine, and this is, you know, I I, I had always heard different New Age things, but I never heard it like this. So I'm going to say, it's it's a very intelligent thing to say. I mean, it sounds right, and I'll just, I'll show you what's right about it and what's wrong about it. Yeah, okay, here we go. Now imagine, imagine you are at like the zoo and they have those exhibits where you put your hand in there and you don't know what you're feeling. Has anyone ever been to an exhibit like that? And you're supposed to guess what it is. And it's like some of the most normal things feel crazy. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that was that. Okay, so imagine if there was a window right here. So this whole thing is covered with a wall, but there's a window right here. There's a window right here. Uh, and then there's a window right here, okay? So you ask three different people to come to these windows and touch what they feel, uh, touch, touch whatever's in front of them, and to describe what they feel. So 
this is actually a proverb of, of, of India. This is what they would say. Of course, I'm, I'm butchering it, but this is a proverb they have. So one man comes and he touches the tail, and he goes, oh, I'm holding a snake. I'm holding a snake because he, he feels it moving up and down. He's like, oh, that's a snake. The other one comes here and pushes on it and says, oh, this is a wall, you know, a big elephant leg. This is a wall. This is a wall. And the other one uh, here, uh, this is supposed to be uh, the trunk as well. Uh, and, uh, not the trunk, the, uh, what do we call it? the tusk. And touches the tusk and go, oh, that's a spear. That's a spear. And so now the proverb basically is like this, which one is right? Okay. Well, aren't they all right? No. They're not all right because they're not touching a thing or whatever. So which one is wrong? Are they all wrong? Well, no, they're not necessarily all wrong either. They're, it's all a matter now of their perspective. So are they really touching a snake? Are they really touching a tusk? Are they really touching a wall? Well, now it's their perspective. So you take away the windows, and now you see the whole picture. They were right, and they were wrong. And this is kind of like the philosophy of India. It's like we all see things in our own version, and we describe it the way we feel best. And some of the things we think are right are right, and some of the things we think are wrong. But when we see the full picture, we'll see it more clearly. And so what they would say is this is religion. One is looking at Catholicism and seeing just the tail, and they're saying this is a tail, and some of their things are right, but some of them are wrong. There, there, there is something that's long and slender. That is true, but it's not what they think. They think it's a snake. It's actually a part of something bigger. And then there's uh, somebody's pushing here, and they think it's a wall, but it's, it's not just a wall, but it feels like a wall. It's really a part of the leg. And so when you get the big picture, this right here is God. Now watch. And these windows are religion. And so what they'll say is there's truth in all religion, even though there's some things that are wrong. So that's how they unify them. They'll say, is this, per let's just go back to this. If I, if I hold on to this and I say it's a snake, by definition of a snake, I'm wrong. But if we described a snake as something long and slender and moves around a lot, is that wrong? No, that's how, how if I said describe a snake other than the hissing, what would you say? It's long and slender, right? Are you guys with me? If I said describe a wall, how would you describe a wall? It's flat, it's hard, okay? Is that flat and hard? Yeah. If I said describe a spear, what is a spear? Sharp and, and slender. What does the tusk feel like? Sharp and slender. But where are they wrong? Where are they wrong? When they make their dogma, they're right in what they're describing, but they're wrong when they make their dogma to say, this is a snake, this is a wall, and this is a tusk. So where religion gets wrong is when they say, see, we're the only ones. We're this way. No one else is right. And what God is really trying to tell us is that you're all right in the sense of what you're seeing. That is true. Muhammad, you did see this. Jesus, you did see this. Christians, you did see this. But the problem is you didn't understand that it was the big picture of God. And so you kept thinking your little part was the only part there was. But now you realize it's the bigger part. So it sounds like an easy argument to refute, but it's a little bit more complicated, isn't it? So how do we refute that? We simply refute it and say Jesus gives us the full perspective of God. We're not all just looking at this little perspective. 
even though there may be truths in Hinduism. Like they may say, let's love our neighbor as ourselves. They may say, like there's a whole book, by the way, that has the comparative teachings of Buddha and Jesus. And you can read through them. Yeah, there may be similar things. But the point is Jesus revealed to us the Father in one whole picture. And the, and the picture that Hinduism gives us is not the same picture. It's not just a different part. They're describing a whole nother image. So let me give you an example. Here's where the law of non-contradiction comes in. Is there one God or many gods? Which one is it? One God. So if Hinduism says there's many gods, can that be true? Now, if there was many gods, is it possible that there's only one God? So everybody think about this. I don't want to lose you. If there is many gods, is it possible there is only one God? Can there be only one human being in this room right now? No. So one of us is right and one of us is wrong. So we can't be right both on this situation. Now, what would they say to that? They would say, well, to you there's one God, and to Muslims there's one God and this, but there's really one big God. Do you see how they'll try to use that argument? But the question is, if this one God is the only God, can there be these other little gods? No. And there you have it right there. Let me just read it. First, Jesus clearly taught there was no other ways to God outside of his way. Uh, they, they were evil and false prophets, thieves and liars. So he said anybody that tries to do it another way is wrong. Second, he said he was literally the only way to the Father. No one could get to heaven through him, John 14, 6. And third, he said he was the one and only judge that would, that would judge the entire world and that every knee would bow before his throne. So once again, if we're saying that there's one throne that everybody's bowing before, can there now still be a throne of Krishna, a throne of whoever a throne of whoever no the big picture is what jesus said so either jesus is wrong or you're wrong because jesus didn't leave a middle ground does everybody get that jesus did not leave a middle ground and we're going to end on this uh brother can you erase let's give it up for adam one last time erasing the board so let's just look at this you see, everybody see jesus up there as my argument this is the argument from jesus i'm going to describe it now quickly We'll get an A and a B here. A and a B. If Jesus is God, can Krishna still be God? No. Why? Because Jesus said he was the only God. If someone says, this is the tail, this is the tail, Jesus is the tail, and this is the trunk, and really... You're not seeing the full picture. We're all just having our own picture. Now Jesus becomes a liar. Because Jesus should have said, I am the only way for you guys. I am the perspective that you guys will only see. But there's other perspectives that other people will see. Does everybody get that? Okay. And that's why New Age fails is because they try to adopt Jesus into their team. Every New Ager wants Jesus on their team. Not only that, but think about it. Everybody wants Jesus on their team, but Jesus is on nobody's team. Think about that. Buddhists want to claim Jesus to be like another Buddha. The Hindus want to claim Jesus to be like another incarnation, what they would call an avatar of their God. Uh, you know, Muslims say he was a prophet. Uh, you know, the Baha'is believe he was one of their prophets as well. And yet Jesus says, I am on none of your teams. So why do the New Agers want Jesus so bad to be on their team? The reason they want Jesus so bad is because there's so much about Jesus that they like and love. They, they love this idea that Jesus was kind to his enemies, that he was nice to people, he, um, he forgave, he sacrificed. But they also want to keep their teachings, and so it becomes like that spiritual buffet. Well, you cannot put Jesus on this team right here. 
because he said he was the only one. Amen? Let's read this last scripture in closing. We'll dismiss and see the rest of you tomorrow, and whoever wants to stay uh, will take questions, but I certainly appreciate your time. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and what? Training in what? Righteousness. Thank you. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how are we going to get equipped for every good work? Going to the Word of God. If you want to learn more about what you believe, you, uh, what others believe, you first need to learn about what, the, what you believe the Bible teaches. And I remember this in theology class. If I could get Rachel to come, please. I remember this in theology class that I was trying to figure out why is it important to know what others believe? Why is that important? And I felt God gave me a word to understand it. Comparison, let me say the word first. The reason why it's important to understand what other, others believe is so you can know better what you believe. That's really that word that I got. And then this is how I can explain it to you. Try to talk about something or, or uh, think about it like this. If you try to describe your favorite car, could you really describe it to me without comparing it to something else? You would get, at one point, you would get limited. So let's just say you go, uh, so Ishmael, he's got a, a truck he redid. So Ishi starts describing it to me. He's going, well, it's got four wheels, and it's black, and it's got doors, and it's got a, a bed in the back. Now, you guys are thinking about this thing as I'm describing it. But how do we know really what that looks like? You may be having an image right now of an F-10 truck. Somebody else might have an image of a Cadillac-type truck. Somebody might be thinking of more of a Jeep. So what he'll do to help us understand that kind of truck, he'll now start comparing it to other models. He'll say, yeah, it's like an F-10, but I lowered it. So it's not as high as an F-10, so I lowered it. And then he'll say, but I then put on a, de a, a, a grill like a Range Rover. I have a grill. So because we know these other things, we can describe what we're talking about better. And I really believe this is the purpose of why God allows us to study other religions and doesn't just say stick your head in the sand. Is because when you go and look at Islam, you now have a comparison. And you can say, our God is not like that. Our God is like this. And does that not sound like the prophets of the Old Testament? You guys go to gods made of wood and stone. Our God is in heaven. Your gods are deaf and dumb and they can't hear you. Our God hears you or hears us when we pray. So I would encourage you to study what you believe, but just pay attention to the, the objections or the beliefs of others. And don't be afraid to hear what they're saying, but then go back and study so you can answer them. So I think the best way, if you were to ask me, like, Joe, how can I reach these kinds of people? How can I reach these people? I would say the best way is just to listen to them. Listen to why they believe what they believe. So, for example, I have a Muslim neighbor, and we're talking, you know, and 
You know, he's fasting during Ramadan, which is this time that they fast for their basically like their righteousness. So I start to ask him, do you feel like you're good enough to pass judgment day? And he tells me no. So when he tells me what he thinks about himself for judgment day, what can I now compare that to? Our judgment day and the righteousness of Christ that's given to all those who repent in Jesus' name. So now after listening to him, I can say, well, you know what the Bible says? This is how you get righteousness from the Bible. You repent and come to Jesus. And I can ask him to go home and pray about that concept. Or if you're talking to somebody that says, like, we're talking about relativism, and they go, well, you know, I, I think whatever's true for you is true for you, and I'm going to do my thing. And then you can ask him. You can say, well, how's your thing working out? What's your life like right now? I remember sitting down one time at a restaurant, and I was confessing, uh, you know, that I had gotten, like, crabs and these things when I was a bad boy, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, and I was like, man, I got like two STDs, man. And this dude looked across the table from me. He said, I've had seven. So, you know, that's a, that's a good thing to pay attention to, you know? Like, okay, have you learned from that yet? How do you feel about that? How is that working out for you? Or maybe you're sitting down with somebody from your job and, you know, their marriage is not going right. And you ask them, well, how, how do you, uh, you know, how did, how did you build your marriage? How did you develop your marriage? He said, well, I didn't really think about it like that. You know, I just married her because I loved her. And you could say, well, the Bible says to build your marriage upon God. Do you guys understand that when we compare with the light of God's, the light of God's word, we are equipped to teach people, to rebuke them and say, no, don't do this, do that. Or correct them and say, oh, you need to come think this way more. Or this is what is right. This is how we train ourselves. And what I want to believe, it, you know, as we kind of finish the real in-depth information of the conference, Nancy's going to just bring that application tomorrow. And I want you to bring your friends because even if they didn't come to the conference, it's going to be awesome. What I want us to get from this whole entire conference is that God has the answers. He has the answers for marriage. He has the answers for our sexuality. He has the answers for heaven. We don't have to go and make it up. We don't have to go and search for it. We don't need to try to do it on our own. We can just come to God and say, God, explain it to me. Teach it to me. And he'll teach it to us through the word. And when we end this session today, I want to say to you, I mean this from the bottom of my heart because no one is here that I, I can see that is a non-Christian objecting to the truth, though we've invited them, and we'll figure out how we need to do that next time. But I wish there would have been some, but maybe God had it like this. But I, I promise you, the leaders here promise you, we will not leave until we give you biblical answers to every question you have here. I do believe, you know, I can't explain to you personal situations, you know, why, why your hair color is this way instead of blonde. I'll just tell you, God made you that way, right? But I'm talking every major question you we will answer today so at least you can go free from here going, hey, I've been trained in righteousness. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me? Father, we love you. And we're going to dismiss. And we're going to send forth these laborers, God. But we ask more importantly than just going to preach to different religions and different people that, God, we would know you. Altar workers, would you come, please? These altar workers are just going to come as the band comes. 
And we'll dismiss at this point, uh, just a moment, but I mean, when I dismiss, we'll do the prayer and everything. If you want to stay back, you can. So we're going to dismiss with the prayer. I know I've kept you late. Thank you again for staying. But here's how we're going to end. If you just want to be encouraged in your walk with God, no matter what it's no matter what it's about or if the conference has touched on it, just anything in your life, we want to pray with you today. If you have any major issue that you're facing and you're like, you know what, theology, debates, that's not what I'm into right now. I just need God to show up. We want to pray for you. And then as we dismiss and those people are receiving prayer, if you want to hang back, I'll start the Q&A session at... Um, Five o'clock on the clock here. We'll start it in 12 minutes. Father, I ask you bless us as we get ready to leave here today. If anyone today, as we get ready to dismiss, just needs encouragement, they need to know the God of the Bible. 